0: So if you were here last week, you know that we opened up a a brand new sermon series called Rooted, and it's in the book of Colossians, right? So this, this book was a letter to the Colossian church in, in the city of Colossae, and um, one of the things that we saw was that uh, uh, that this church was fairly new, and there was a little bit going on in that church. We'll talk about that here a little bit as well. So we're going to jump right in because there's a lot to talk about in this section, I think a couple of you commented on how, how exciting this section is in Scripture. It's really one of the best um, so far that I've seen uh, in, in a while here. Um, so we're going to be in, in, in 15 through 23. So chapter 1, book of Colossians, verses 15 through 23. So if you're there already, great. Um, hang on to that. Put your, uh, your marker in there. Um, you know, get it ready on your devices, however you're doing that. One of the things that I was thinking about this week as I was studying this passage is that there's always events, a series of events, people that kind of shape and, and kind of point your, your life in a certain direction, right? So I think there's, there's definitely some things that leave a, a very lasting impact on your life, and in some cases, it's life-changing. One of the things that I can think of in our life was, was way back in 2009, or 2009 2009, Natalie and I picked up, and we, we left our little apartment in Redondo Beach and came to Tucson. And uh, it was not something that was planned. We didn't really know what the future was going to hold. You know, but what, what we ended up seeing here is, is not only that, that we, we, we planted our roots, so to speak, no pun intended, but what we did see is we didn't know what the future was going to hold. But since then, Natalie was baptized. We, we had both of our beautiful daughters here. We we root we we found our home church right here at Thornydale Family Church. I was an ordained. I got ordained as a minister. Right, crazy thought. Definitely not something we were thinking about in 2009. So these were life changing moments and events in our lives. But really, none of that can compare in my own personal life to when I started my relationship with Jesus back in 1998. So in 1998, that's when I became a Christian, and, and now that, that's that's probably the, the the most impactful, and it is the most impactful thing that's happened to me in my personal life. And it's such an, an interesting thing if you if you look at the scriptures, we we see is that when somebody repents and when somebody rejoices and follows the Lord, even the angels rejoice, and you'll see that in the scriptures, Luke 15:10. So more than that, but even even that impact in my life, there's even a bigger event as we all know, right? So, so this event was when the man Jesus came, right? That person, Jesus, impacted all of history as we know it. And so we're gonna, we're gonna read about him today in this passage. We're gonna read about Jesus in this passage today. Um, in my studies, I came, I came across a few uh, overviews and summaries, and I really like this one that I came across this week. Paul's goal in this passage it's to give the Colossian church an accurate picture of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross and to encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus in spite of the pressures they are facing. I think that was a pretty good summary of that. Well, Here's what I want you to hear. It says it, it gives us an accurate picture of who Jesus is. It gives us an accurate picture of who Jesus is. Paul does this in this section by writing basically like a poem. And this poem is sometimes referred to as, and it's actually compared to the Christ hymn that we see in Philippians chapter 2. And there are some writers who call this the Colossians hymn. So this poem reminds the Colossian church, and what's even more beautiful is it reminds us today too, at the impact and of the impact of of the sacrifice of Jesus and what that has on our lives even today. So I came across some really interesting commentaries and notes. There's so many resources out there available. One of them, uh, again, like I stated a moment ago, identified this as a Colossian hymn. Here's kind of some summaries of what I uh, ran, ran across over the course of the week. The Christ hymn is probably one of the most important passages that we'll find in this book. It's filled with the proper identification of Christ in relation to God, creation, and his church. This hymn itself, is really, it's only six verses, verses 15 through 20, but what we'll see and what we'll see in it is what it means to believe in the one who is 100% God and 100% man. And what we see in this belief also gives us that assurance of our salvation. And then finally, what we see in this, this passage is that it summarizes the entire Bible from, rec- from creation to rec- uh, reconciliation, it summarizes this entire scripture, these two ends of our history. So I'm gonna do a little bit something today out of order. I'm gonna give you the, the main idea right away. Um, and I want you to think about that main idea as we go through the passage and we go through all of the uh, fill in the blanks that you see in front of you today in your, uh, in your Bible outline. Uh, so here's, here's our main idea today. To be rooted in God, the Son, who is Jesus, I must put him... As the head of all things. That word all is pretty darn important. That word all translated means all. Okay, so to be rooted in God the Son, I must put Him as head of all things. So, with this in mind, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I want to start by just defining a few terms that will help us to kind of understand what's happening here. The first one is going to take very quick. It's the, the term he. The he as you've already seen from the introduction, is referring directly to Jesus. We know this because of verse 13. Verse 13, Paul declares that God delivered these Christians from the darkness to the kingdom of his son Jesus. All right, and then we're going to look at the next two, which are very closely related. The next term that we want to look at is firstborn. Firstborn, it could be a tricky thing based on our understanding of the word in English. So we'd see this actually in two different ways. First thing we see is in verse 15 where he says he's the firstborn of all creation. So what this does not mean, what this does not mean is that Jesus was created first or literally born as you and I were. If we look at this entire section, we see that verse 16 says that Christ is called the creator. Christ is identified as creator in verse 16. So there's no possible way that God can be creator and created, there's no possibility that Christ could be creator and created, and we'll explore that entire thing just a little bit later. I think a nice um, Old Testament passage that helps illustrate this it comes from the Psalms. Psalm 89, verse 27 says this: "I will make him, and he's speaking of King David, the firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth." Now this is pretty significant. Because number one, we know that David wasn't the first king. It was Saul. But we also want to consider that this psalmist is speaking of, not speaking of, of a birthright that David had because we know that David wasn't the oldest child. And the, the birthright in the Jewish culture was obviously very significant. But he was talking about his rank. He was talking about his importance and status as the preeminent king of Israel. There were many kings who followed but how many kings were called a, a good man after God's own heart none he was the only one who was designated as a man after God's own heart so the idea here of firstborn seen both here and in verse 18 it speaks of Christ's rank speaks of his status his position and it means that he's of first importance he's of first priority so that's what we see there. So verse 18, it designates him as firstborn from the dead. Another interesting concept, and the best way that we can understand this verse is if we look at Scripture itself. And we see that in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, we see that these words, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ was not the first one, as we know, to be resurrected, and he won't be the last. He's not only the first, you know, he wasn't the first to, you know, but he is the only one who won't die again, and that's the key here. He's not, gonna, he's not the one who, who will die again. He's the only one who still lives. Revelation, Jesus himself proclaimed this in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. He says that he lives forevermore. Romans 6, 9, Paul declares that death has no dominion over Christ. He still lives. You see, Christ's resurrection is the of the highest rank, of the highest importance, and that's why he says it here. And then finally, I want to point this out. The designation of firstborn of, from the dead also points to when Jesus will return and he will pave a way for the resurrection of the saints. So it also points to that as well. If you're interested in learning more about that, go ahead and take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So this word, this word really illustrates, and this is your next fill in the blank, that Christ is preeminent over all things. Preeminent really here describes and summarizes what we just saw here in the firstborn. It declares Jesus as first, as primary, as head. And then finally, the word if. This word if is a big, big, big word, right? And there's a lot of confusion. That's found at the very beginning of verse 23, And the word here is actually better translated, sense. And the reason for this is because it's what we call a first-class condition. And what that means is basically it's a statement of fact. It's a statement of assumption of fact. Right? So this verse is not teaching us that one can lose their salvation. I wanted to put this quote out here. Warren Wiersbe says that Paul was saying, if you're truly saved and you're built on this solid foundation, Jesus Christ, then you will continue in the faith, and nothing will move you. That's kind of what he's saying there. And he says, you have heard the gospel, you have trusted Jesus, and he has saved you. We talked about this a little bit last week, if you recall. We talked about this idea of Christians bearing fruit as a proof of our salvation. So he's basically saying this to the church. Number one, Jesus is preeminent. And because of that, look what he has offered for us, free of charge. So don't walk away from the faith. Don't walk away from Jesus. Be obedient as a response to him and continue, right? Don't, don't draw away from that. Just as a quick reminder, a main idea, just so you can kind of make sure that that's front of mind, it, it again is to be rooted in the Son of God or God the Son, I must put him as the head of all things. So I want to kind of talk through that a little bit. We want to put him uh, as head of all things. What does this passage tell us about Jesus, and what is he the head of? First thing we see there in verses 15 through 17, he is head of all creation. All creation. If you really look at this passage, it's closely aligned with what we read in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. It's very closely lined there. We see that in its very simplest form, that God is creator of all things. And think about this passage alone, how many times Paul references all things or everything. In that Christ him alone, verses 15 through 20, it's mentioned six different times. If you think about that in the Hebrew, that means it's pretty darn important. That's an emphasis. We We even have that in the English. So, in this, again, we see that in verse 23, he also mentions all of creation. So, he mentions it several times in this short passage. So, Christ's role was that number one, he created all things. He created all things that were visible and invisible. He created all things that were under the thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. And then, Paul, just to again bring the emphasis back, he says, again, all things. Think about this idea of all things, and we'll see this in a few weeks. This also included angels, right? And the reason that's important, you'll see when we get to Colossians 2.18, Paul immediately says, and he warns about angel worship. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, that means you've been listening for several months back. when We were in the book of Hebrews, and when we opened up that series, that was one of the first things the writer of Hebrews talked about. You remember that? He talked about this idea that, God or Jesus is superior to even the angels. So there's a lot of consistency that we see there. So Paul's making it incredibly clear. God's the son. God the son is the creator. And he was there in the beginning. All right, I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's take a look at scripture again. John 1 is a very familiar passage to us. Let's take a look at verses 1 through 3 to see what that says. Verse 1 of John 1 says, In the beginning was the word, word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. A little bit later in verse 14 we see these words and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the son of, uh, from the father full of grace and truth. And if you read more into that chapter verse 15 identifies this word as Jesus the one that John was preaching about, the one that John paved the way for. So when we read that passage alongside of, of this current passage, uh, 15 and, and 16 of Colossians 1. We see that not only God or Christ has been with God from the beginning, he is also the image, and we talked about that with the kids just a few minutes ago. He's the image of the invisible God. This idea of image it literally means a copy or even a prototype, you know, this prototype is basically, it's the, it's the original form in which the image is drawn. That's what that word prototype means. Hebrews 1, verse 3, again, it confirms this. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, He is the radiant of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The exact imprint. So that word um, by, B-Y, and the ESV at the beginning of verse 16 also can mean in. So when you put that together, you can actually see that in this, this section, we see that creation exists in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. You see creation introduces us to God. And see Romans 1.20 for an understanding of that. Because God's creator, that means that he is the authority. All things belong to him. Understanding creation helps us to understand his lordship. And it helps us to be submissive to him. And if we serve Almighty God, such as the one who created all things, then we know that he is also the God who redeems. And that redemption is manifested in this next point. And this next area that he's the the head of, and that's the church. We saw that at the very beginning of verse 18. We won't talk about the whole thing because we talked about preeminence. We talked about firstborn already. But the beginning part of verse 18 says that he is the head of the body, the church. So so the Greek word of, of head, it doesn't only just refer to the source or the origin, but it also refers to the leader and the ruler. So this is to say that the worldwide church, the universal church, belongs to Christ and therefore under Christ. So for Christians, that means if if Christ is the head of the church, that means no person, no denomination, no organization has dominion over his people. This is to say that the final authority comes from the inspired word of God 2 Timothy 3.16. In the living and active word of God, Hebrews 4.12. And again, let's be reminded, this purpose of this letter was to encourage the church in Colossae and to refute them by, and rebuke them by saying, look, you can't add a little bit of Jesus to your spiritualism. You just can't add Jesus to whatever is the, the spiritualism of the week. So Paul is essentially telling him, look, listen to the voice of God. Listen to the voice of Jesus, which you have heard from the beginning. He is the head of the church. No one else. So lastly, we see that Jesus is the head and the author of our salvation. Verse 21 tells us that by nature, we're separated from God. We're separated from God by nature. This is because of Sin. We were born into sin because of the sin of Adam. Period. Right? Therefore, we must be reconciled to God, which is what we see in verse 20. This means that we need to be changed from one state to another. That's what that word reconciliation. We need to be changed from one state to another. And that's only through the work of Jesus on the cross. And because of that reconciliation, Jesus himself presents us to God as holy, holy, Blameless and above reproach. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. I want to mention two things in this idea of of above reproach. Number one, we have to understand this is from God only. And Read Ephesians 2 if you want to understand that more. This is a gift from God. It's grace. Second thing we see here about uh, above reproach, um, I I ran across this quote from Tim Challies. He defined the term above reproach as a legal word. That indicates a kind of innocence in the eyes of the law. It means that nobody can legitimately rebuke you or make any charges against you that will stick. They may accuse you, but your conduct will eventually acquit you by proving you blameless. Several years back, I studied the book of 1 John. Chapter 2, the Apostle John is speaking about this idea of, 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 of Christ being our advocate. And one of the terms that's used in that, uh, that chapter is a, is a term that I'm sure each and every one of us uses every single day, is propitiation, right? It's a fascinating word, and one of the things that came up in my studies of, of that word and this idea in, in, in 1 John 2, um, somebody had painted this picture of, of John saying, look, Jesus standing before the God the judge as our defense lawyer, and he's proclaiming before God the judge Us as holy and blameless and above reproach. Again, that blows my mind because of the work he did. He presents us to God as blameless and righteous and holy. You see, that work of Jesus allows us to be in the presence of God for eternity because the Bible says that we need to be holy because he is holy. And we can only be holy through the presence of Jesus in our lives. He took the sins of all who believe, and he makes it available to all of people, all of mankind. So when we put Jesus as head, we're acknowledging him as Lord, and we're declared righteous again in front of the Holy God. When I was in management, um, I had the opportunity to go to several trainings and workshops and seminars and, and conferences and you name it. And um, it, it was either on leadership or if it was some, sometimes it was very specific to whatever position I held at the time. There's usually two responses that somebody can make and have when they return to the office after these business trips. You can either implement it or you can ignore it, right? And there were times where I did a little bit of both, right? But really, the idea there is, is you, you, you got to do something with that information that you're learning, so what I want to make sure that I'm not just giving you a bunch of stuff this morning. I want to make sure that I'm giving you some information to help you apply these things back into your lives. So I'm, I'm hopeful that you learned a lot, but I also want to make sure that we apply and we respond to this incredible passage of Scripture. So again, if I'm, if I'm to be rooted in God the Son, and if I'm going to put him in, 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 as head of all things, I want to ask you these questions. Is Jesus the head of all things in your life? Is he the head of your marriage? Is he the head of your home? Is he the head of your money, your careers? And it's very possible that you struggle putting him first in your life. That's completely understandable. Completely understandable. We live in a busy world with many people who, who need your attention and needs something from you, and that's understandable. But that's why, even more so, it's important to make an essential, I would argue, to make him first and preeminent in your lives. So I want to just give you a few things to think about. And here are some ways that we can put him first in our lives. First thing I would say is this: seek the kingdom over your own interests. Seek the kingdom over your own interests. I'm sure many of us are familiar with the words from, from Jesus in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and these things will be added to you. I love that verse. And I think here, one of the things that came to mind, I think the, the great Bible scholar, theologian, Pat Damiani said these words. He says, what we worry about the most is where we trust God the least. What we worry about the most is where we trust God the least. And that's why it's important to have a kingdom mindset, a heavenly mindset. Second thing is this, live to please Jesus. Think about that. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about this idea that that we are to be holy because God is holy. We talked about this idea that producing good works shows others who we are and who we identify with in Jesus. Jesus. And that's in a response to his good work. And I, I want to encourage you and remind you that obedience is a mark of our faith. Obedience is a mark of our faith. And the last thing I want to talk through real quickly is that we ought to listen to the word instead of the world. Listen to the word instead of the world. I'll be the first to admit, it's easy To say it out loud, it's a little bit harder to implement it in your lives. There's so much information out there, isn't there? There's so many voices. There's so many people giving you information. So how do we know it's true? How do we understand what the truth is versus what the the lies are? And just as we talked about again last week, we do this by making God's word primary in our lives. We do this by making God's word primary in our lives. Hopefully that sounds familiar. If you were listening last week, I want to point out a, a, something that Jesus wrote and, and spoke. Uh, this comes from John chapter eight, verse forty-seven. Uh, what what Jesus is doing here, and what John's recording here, is that Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders, right? And he's rebuking them for not doing what the word of God, what their scriptures were teaching them to do. So he gives them these words in verse forty-seven. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that because you are not of God. Jesus is reminding us even today that that we hear God through his word, not through the world. So when we make Jesus the head of our lives, we will hear his voice, and we will hear the truth. I'm gonna leave you one last word of encouragement. Friends, brothers, sisters, make Jesus the head of your life. Let's pray. Father, again, it is easy to say to make you head of our lives. It is easy to think about these things. It's easy to to say, yes, I agree. This is a great word. Help us to implement it. Help us to do it. Help us to understand um, from you how this is possible. Help us to fully surrender to you so that it is possible. And if there's anybody here today struggling, Father, I just pray for them specifically and ask God that you help them to to sit and to reflect and to meditate and to pray so that they may become closer to you. That's what we desire. That's what we desire from you, Father. We want to get close to you. Not because it makes us holy or perfect or wonderful, because that's where we want to be in the comforting arms of you, God our Father, and that we recognize, God, and we, we, we admit, God, that that's only possible through the work of your son, Jesus, and we're grateful for that, Father God. We're so grateful for that. Help us to, to see this active in our lives each and every day, each and every hour, each and every minute, each and every second, and I ask these things, God, in Jesus' name.